You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my co-host, Kyle Russo. A stacked lineup tonight here on Tuesday. Kyle, before we get started, how are you today? I'm doing good, Tom. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I'm having a lot of fun. And we have a friend backstage tonight, James Montefusco, pushing buttons for us. I know we'll have him back on a show soon, but he's helping us produce out here in the early stages. So thank you very much, James. Shout out to you. Folks, if you're just watching for the first time, remember to catch us on all our social media platforms. Give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, on the Anchor for our audio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Paul Lombardi, our basketball host, just did an awesome interview last night with Travis Demers, radio play-by-play voice of the Portland Trailblazers. That was a very good interview, and of course, if you have a comment, any questions, comments you may have, feel free to comment in the stream. We will get back to you as soon as we can, and we appreciate the comment already from James Montefusco. No problem. I'll be back soon. James, coming back in July. Looking forward to it. So tonight, Kyle, you and I are going to talk about my favorite subject of the evening, my Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Brooklyn Nets in the series, and this series is now tied 2-2. Two to two between the Bucks and the Nets. And I just want to say that game four was awesome. Um, it wasn't so awesome that Kyrie Irving had to leave the game with a right ankle sprain, but outside of Kevin Durant, no other Nets player scored more than eight points. Giannis dominated, had 34 and 12, and the Bucks used that eight-man rotation, which you love to see. I love the way Mike Budenholzer coached that game. And yes, Hank, fear the deer. Kyle, do you think it's time to fear the deer? I think it's time to fear the deer, not because of the better team, but they're just not injured. You know, I saw something today that seven All-Stars uh, that were uh, part of the All-Star game this year that are in this playoff right now are hurt. That, that's insanity to me. And that's been because of the compressed type of season. That's been because of the fact that they weren't able to get their legs back underneath them, didn't have a fully recovered offseason. And now we're looking at Brooklyn and we're saying to ourselves – I think, Tom, you even said it, is that you didn't trust their health. And while that was a factor, it's one thing to lose one of your stars. You know that a one-two punch of KD and Harden or Harden and Kyrie or Kyrie and KD, either one of those would probably get you to the next round. But now missing two of those stars and just having one in KD, I don't think personally that's enough to overcome this Milwaukee team. Yeah, and it's very interesting how the James Harden injury and the Kyrie Irving injury will impact the rest of this series. Kyrie Irving, it has been noted that he will likely miss the remainder of the series, which, you know, I knew going into this 
that the Nets were going to have problems staying healthy heading into the postseason. I believe Durant, Irving, and Harden together only played seven games as a unit, as a threesome throughout the entire regular season. They made it through one series in the playoffs, but now we get to the second series, and that's where things are starting to crumble. And you know what? I'm sick and tired of hearing of excuses from Brooklyn Net fans. Oh, we don't have James Harden. Oh, we don't have Kyrie Irving. You assembled this team together. You put this team together piece by piece, knowing that these guys are injury prone. In particular, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant coming off a bad injury last year as well. Dante DiVincenzo went down in the first round. You haven't heard a single word about it from Bucks fans. There's no excuses. P.J. Tucker has stepped in, played beautiful defense on Kevin Durant. And I think Milwaukee has done an outstanding job of exposing Brooklyn's lack of depth as a team over the past couple of games because now you take away James Harden, you take away Kyrie Irving. What does that do? There's fewer open looks available for Joe Harris. Kevin Durant is the focal point. You are able to guard him. You have excellent – the all-NBA first defensive team just came out, and there were two bucks on the first team, Giannis and Drew Holiday. So right then and there, in my eyes, defense still wins championships. And right now, Milwaukee has the edge heading into game five. But my my next question to you, Kyle, is James Harden hinted that he now plans to play tonight barring a setback in pregame warmups. Do you think he's going to play? And if he plays, do you think he'll last the full game? I think it lasts the full game, and I think he's going to play the full game. The difference between, you know, people compared it to the Anthony Davis thing, the Anthony Davis, he's a post type of player, and he couldn't be effective in transitions. James Harden, you just need him to stay on the perimeter and knock down shots. So that, that, that's going to be essential for him and his game as they try to make a push forward because, again, if he doesn't play in this game, the series is over. Milwaukee's going to win this series if he does not play in this game. He That's why they're for. I'm not going to say forcing him to play, but again, they had no timetable on a return just a week ago after this hamstring injury. Now it goes from doubtful to questionable to we'll test it out in the pregame to he's probably going to play in a matter of hours just today on this Tuesday afternoon. They're forcing they're forcing him back probably earlier than they would have liked to. They probably went up 2-0 on the Bucks with the instilled thought that Kyrie's still there. KD's still there. We could probably get this job done, not have to worry about James Harden progression in terms of getting him back. Uh, win a nail-biter in game three. Kyrie goes down in the first half, and now you're saying to yourself, after the Bucks tie 2-2, we're back at home. We need to win this game. We cannot go back to Milwaukee being down 3-2 and, and plan on winning the series. So that's – I think that James Harden does play 100%. I think that, like I said, as a perimeter type of player – I don't expect him to be aggressive and drive the lane as much as we know free throws getting to the line a lot is a big part of his game, but knocking down shots and being that three point threat as well is going to help the bucks out tremendously spread the floor. Cause you know, I've gathered this take at least throughout the season that in terms of this big three, obviously I think Kevin Durant is the best player on the team, but the guy that is the, the, the true heart behind this engine, the guy who truly is the game manager and makes this team the level in which they're at is James Harden. And I think him being on the floor is an effective role player. You saw when he was on the floor for this team, they were ultimately unstoppable versus games where KD's played alone versus games where Kyrie's played alone. 
James Harden's been extremely effective when he's been on the court for the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, even with this hamstring injury, like I said, I, I still expect him to be effective if he does play. James says, will the Nets make it to the next round with almost everyone injured? Um, well, right now, it's Irving and Harden. Look, I said from the beginning, this is going to be a seven-game series. I was called silly for thinking that way. I mean, I'm just tired of excuses from Nets fans. There are none coming from the other side. I have not said once that, oh, losing Dante DiVincenzo will hurt us defensively in this series. All due respect to the Brooklyn Nets, I do think they are the better basketball team when 100% healthy. But right now, this is where that next man up mentality comes into play. And Sal- Salvatore Formica says, that's the silliest statement I have ever heard. Can L.A. win? No LeBron and no Davis. Come on, bro. It's not an excuse. It's the truth. Down one guy is one thing. Down two of your best three is ridiculous. That's what I'm going to say. You 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 brought up DiVincenzo. Not that he's not an effective player, but that's like the fourth option behind Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis. You know, you take away Middleton, not even Middleton. You take away Giannis team is done and as much as we talk about Milwaukee coming back it, being down 2-0 you really look at these games both teams I, I know there's individual statistics that go along with these games both teams shot awfully both teams are really terrible in both of these games especially game three I think Middleton and Giannis stacked up 80 percent of the points in which they scored in that game and they won it just based on I think well not again they won the game granted but bad coaching in the down the stretch, giving the ball to Bruce Brown. Not that he's a bad player whatsoever, but back-to-back plays for Brooklyn to end the game. Not Kyrie Irving, not Kevin Durant. I mean, what is that? And then in this last game, you know, Kyrie Irving lands on Giannis's foot, kind of sets the tempo for the game, and you see a lot of four shots being put up by Kevin Durant because his teammates are forcing him the ball. And that's why I think that Milwaukee now has the edge, just like you said, Tom. You know, even if Harden's out there, how effective will he be? It's only yet to be seen. We're going to see how effective he could be because it's in terms of open shots. Joe Harris is at his best when you get open shots. If he's a guy that's being covered, you're not getting those open looks. You're not getting that 40-plus percent three-point shooter that you're getting. Landry Shamit isn't open. Tyler Johnson isn't open. Blake Griffin isn't able to be an effective post player down low. All these things, Jeff Green, same thing. But having that threat allows everything to be opened up. So it's it's yet to be seen. But like you said before with Dante DiVincenzo, not that, again, it's not an excuse. It wouldn't be deemed as an excuse. No. Again, you're missing two of the best. You're, you're missing, let alone two of the best players on your team, but two of the top, what, 12, 15 players in the world on your team, one of them is a top five. That's, that's, that's huge to take out of your offense yeah. repertoire. I mean, DiVincenzo is a good glue player to this team, but Milwaukee has options that give them an advantage. And even then in game four, Kyrie was missing open looks. They weren't hitting any shots. They they weren't good. Even when Kyrie was healthy before he went down with that injury in game four, Sal with another follow-up, Kyle, no way Harden is being forced to play by the team. It's his call with the doctors. Sal, I, I agree to the point where it's his call, but then again – you know, like I brought up earlier, there was no timetable on this guy whatsoever. In fact, I think he was originally ruled out of a game five with Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And then it became, oh, well, now it's questionable. Oh, well, now it's, you know, we'll see in the pregame. And now it's saying that he will most definitely play in this game. 
you know, that doesn't change in the, your health, you don't heal in a, in a matter of a couple hours within the same day on this Tuesday. It's knowing the situation, knowing that, okay, is he at 60 or 70%? Can he go? And that's how he's going to play. Look at Anthony Davis. Can he, was, did anybody really believe that Anthony Davis in a, in a matter of two days healed from a groin injury, which even the announcers, Mark Jackson said it, that's an injury that takes two weeks to just get yourself recovered somewhat. No, but they were in a do-or-die situation, and you knew that you couldn't go back to Phoenix when they were at L.A. and couldn't go down and lose that game. And what happened? He got hurt. He worsened the injury. He was out for the rest of the game. I'm not saying it's going to be the same situation with Harden, but this is, again, just a week ago when Harden got hurt. Steve Nash had no timetable. He was at a loss for words and even used the word, I'm heartbroken, expressing basically to the media that it ultimately looked like he was not going to be available in the series. And now in a matter of a couple hours today, he, he goes from doubtful to I'm playing? I, come on. I do I do agree with Sal's point, actually, Kyle. Uh, not, not to fully counteract what you're saying, but he brings up a good point. Now, you brought up Steve Nash, and this is where I think Brooklyn also has an under-the-radar advantage. In my opinion, they have the better coach in this series. I mean, game four, Brooklyn was down by – around 20 points late, like five minutes in the game, and Steve Nash is just looking up. He's not sure whether or not he should take the starters out or not. I still think he's very inexperienced against these elite teams where you're going to see coaching issues down the stretch where Nash is kind of um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not leveraging, uh, delegating responsibilities to his top assistant and former head coach Mike D'Antoni, who's getting head coaching <laughs> – job interviews with other teams. So at, at this point, I, I think Brian Attard brings up a fair point. Should Steve Nash suit up tonight and play point Did guard? The for point guard. Nets? <laughs> spread the spread the floor. Spread the floor for uh spread the floor for Kevin Durant. That would be make, the ideal situation. Make sure to go check out Brian Attard on the sports box. Highly opinionated tonight at 8 30 PM. Should be a lot of fun. Him and Mike Galetta always some good stuff. We had them on the channel a couple of weeks back. But another couple things about this series that I want to talk about before we bring up our guest at 7.20 p.m. Actually, I'll pin that banner now. We do have an Islanders superfan, John Kaywood, joining the show at 7.20 p.m. from Boston, by the way. Islanders fan from Boston, so that should be very, very interesting. But um, look, has the, ser- has the series shifted in the Bucks' favor? Absolutely. There's no excuse. You have to take advantage. But here's what I don't get. And I don't know who came out with this statement, but this pretty much sums up the NBA over the past two seasons. The Nets are now underdogs in this series, but they're still favorites to make it to the finals. Did you read that? I saw that. That makes no sense to me. If you don't think you're going to make it past this round, how do you reach the finals? Zero sense. That that makes no sense to me. I lost a couple brain cells reading that comment. You know, it's just I I don't I didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. How can you not be the favorite again? If if you're still being deemed the favorite by a smaller margin, it makes sense that oh, you're the favorite in this series, you might Mm -hmm. be the favorite in the finals. But if you're not even the favorite to win this series, how could you possibly be the favorite over the other remaining teams to make it to the finals and win the whole thing? Right. I don't know. Well, the key for me in tonight's game is to attack James Harden on defense. You know he's alley. You know he's playing through an injury. So I think that's going to be uh, the key. I'm going to go with Milwaukee tonight, despite being on the road. Kyle, do you have any uh, predictions for this game? I was really rooting for Brooklyn, man. I just don't see how it's going to happen. 
I just don't see it how it's going to happen. Again, I think the only thing that's on either one of these teams' sides that where it really could go either way is, like I'm saying, both of these teams have been shooting pretty terribly. Yeah. Both these teams have been shooting. In game four especially, well, I think Milwaukee shot 34% from three and Brooklyn shot 30%. And then the game prior, Milwaukee shot like 19% from three and Brooklyn shot like 22 or something like that. And Milwaukee's also not hitting their free throws, as you know, Tom. They are missing oh, a lot absolutely. of free throws. Yeah, well, so yeah. It, like could, it, it could be tight. Again, I'm going to favor Milwaukee. but I'm going to go Bucks and seven, but I think the Nets are going to give them a fight. Look, it's going to be very interesting tonight, 8.30 p.m. in Brooklyn. James Harden trying to play. I imagine he's going to start the game. He's definitely going to be on a minutes restriction. And we do have a few more comments here. Um, <laughs> Hank says he thinks Steve Nash has still got it. <laughs> Just be James, a guy to spread the floor. He's a, he's a prolific passer. Be a guy to spread the floor. James lost a couple brain cells. I don't blame you, James, um, at all. Brian, with another comment, I think it has to do with how much money is on them in the series versus the final. They may want to incite Nets bets now, but they may be overextended on the final. Um, that's the only way, Brian, that I could see this logically making sense. Um, yeah, but why wouldn't you just keep the Nets as the favorite to come out of the series then? Beats me, right? I'm not one of these betting experts, so I'm not going to sit here and try to give a 20-minute detailed explanation where I, I probably don't have um, a smart enough answer to come and make that comment. James is picking Brooklyn, rolling with Brooklyn. James is a Brooklynite. Sal, I don't play Harden if he is close to return or 80 to 90%. Bring him back for game six. I definitely agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't play Harden tonight either. I'd save him for later on in the series. I would try to win this game with Kevin with just Kevin Durant. Try to have him back late. Even if you go down three to two. And well, if you get know. Harden back they for know. game six, because you have that travel day back to Milwaukee. So yeah, but they again, they know that that's what I'm saying. They know that if they go down three two, they're not going to go on the road against Milwaukee and win. It's just not going to happen. We'll see. They've struggled in Milwaukee so far. Um, who has the best chance at beating a healthy Nets team? I still think the answer to that question is Milwaukee. And I hesitated because of the way they performed the first two games of the series. I just think, and totally unbiased, I think the size advantage that Milwaukee has against Brooklyn compared to what Philly has. I think Milwaukee's a little more experienced team in the playoffs as of late, rather where with Philly, you still have some younger stars and guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, where Giannis and Middleton, despite neither of them being 30 yet, have a little bit more experience and the team as a whole. So that's my answer to that. Hank, Hank, I, I, I would say Milwaukee as well, Hank. The only thing is you really evaluate the series and really look at it. Harden's healthy in all these games. Kyrie doesn't miss that remaining second half with Harden as well. This series might have been over in four games, to be honest with you. It really might have. Thank you for that, Kyle. I will definitely remember that in the back of my head. And last comment before we bring up our guest, John Kaywood, who is now backstage. Brian says the Sixers. Brian is from the South Jersey area. Also, Brian um, is a Rangers fan, but is hardcore rooting for the Tampa Bay Lightning and um, he's going to love our next segment with our guest, John Kaywood. John, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you very much for joining us tonight. 
Yeah, what's up, guys? Thank you for uh, having me. I'm glad to talk some Isles hockey, some uh, you know playoff hockey. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely no problem. Um, now, you're an Islanders fan from Boston, correct? Well, I, I grew up on Long Island. Me and Hank met at uh, Sacred Heart, so I'm, I'm an Islander uh, through and through. But I moved to Boston for grad school. Now I live here full-time. I work here, so yeah. That's kind of my Boston roots or connections. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself on how you became an Islanders fan? Is there like a backlog story behind that that the listeners may not know? I mean, you know, growing up on Long Island, you have two choices. You have the Rangers or or the Islanders. And, you know, I don't know many teams that are kind of named after, you know, their you know, the region where they're from. So I feel like, you know, I was an Islander fan as a kid and, you know, it's kind of runs course to now and i'm still here as a fan awesome and hank is saying hello in the comments section by the way hey, hey Hanky, what's, what's up good? man <laughs> how's it going hank yeah and uh you know as far as you know being a isles fan in boston and what it's been like this past series um you know it hasn't been too bad not too much chirping going on you know i went to a game uh you know uh, on lansdowne street for game one and Fan base, very, uh, the Boston fan base, very uh, laid back. I was surprised. I thought I would be, you know, chirped a little bit more. But, um, you know, I wasn't too confident in that game one against, uh, you know, with Sorokin in net. So um, it was kind of uh, ho-hum in there, N- nothing too, uh, you know, crazy. So it-, it wasn't bad. It's not bad being an Islander stand up here. Awesome. Actually, I'm a Rangers fan, but my co-host Kyle is an Islanders fan. So There you go, Kyle. You're on the good side, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but next question I have for you is, did you expect the Isles to be able to get past the Bruins without their captain, Anders Lee? Um, you know, I definitely thought this whole playoff run without Anders would be difficult. Um, you know, step people who stepped up in his kind of place, uh, you know, it's kind of like I, I kind of equate to like Moneyball to a degree because – you're getting a little bit of what Anders does in different guys. Like Kyle Palmieri, he goes to the dirty areas. He's getting those goals for you this playoff run. Um, Josh Bailey, he's he's making some good awareness passes. You know, yesterday we saw it on that pass to Barzi breaking down the ice. And, uh, you know, you see it in Leo Komarov, who's been taking over that role for Anders. Um, and he's been checking people. He's been that physical presence. So you're kind of getting a piecemealed Anders Lee through other guys just stepping up. And uh, that's kind of where you're finding it. And, you know, I guess from an Islanders fan, fan and a fan base perspective, I'm not sure what they thought. I thought that, you know, we made it last year in the bubble as far as we did. And Boston, they didn't have as good as depth. They They, they had a few injuries during the series, so... Um, that definitely, you know, sadly helped Islanders to a degree, you know, Kevin Miller being hurt, um, you know, some other guys leaving the series a little later and obviously, uh, Rask, uh, having that hip, uh, labrum injury, um, may have played a role. So yeah, definitely a lot of, you know, injuries on our side with not having Anders and injuries on the Bruins side definitely kind of let us push past them. And now we're, now we're here in the Eastern conference finals. Kyle, go ahead. Oh, oh! I thought we were moving on. I th- no, um, no, no, no. No, based on what we we've seen from this Islander team, you know, I thought we were more than capable of beating Pittsburgh. Everybody said that wasn't going to be the case scenario, 
and then blamed on the fact of Tristan Jari, which in that game five situation, terrible outlay pass to Josh Bailey for an open net. I get it. But they still had to play and compete with a Pittsburgh team that was putting up numbers Mm goal-wise. Then they go against Boston, and even with Boston, I said it was going to be a six, seven-game series. I thought the Islanders had a chance because why? The goaltending was always going to give them a chance. It was just a matter of fact if they were rolling on offense, if they were capitalizing on their shots. Because what we know with this Islanders team, in fact, the last game in which they played against Boston, they were outshot 44-19 to in that game. Now, you would think just by those numbers, you would think the opposing team won. In Boston, that's not the case scenario because the Islanders, even on the minimal shots that they have, they've been capitalizing and scoring. Where the goaltending has been, don't get me wrong, Varlamov and whether it was Sorokin in in the first series against Pittsburgh has been elite, beyond elite. So the best goaltending that I think I've ever seen, elite. But they've been scoring, and that's what's been helping. Contributions from guys like J.G. Pajot, guys like Palmieri, who – you know, the second half of the season, people are saying, oh, Lou Lamarillo gave up a first-round pick and whatever for this guy. You know what? I don't care that he had two goals in the regular season for the Islanders. Why? Because he has seven goals plus all the points from assists in the playoffs, and that's where it counts. That's where it matters. I don't care what you did in the regular season. You look at regular season, here's a prime example. Taylor Hall, and I talked about it the entire way. I, I said first-handed, Boston got a steal. A steal. And in 16 games with the Bruins, he had 13 points. Guess what he did for them in the playoffs? Not too much. Well, Palmieri, opposite end of that. Didn't do too much in the regular season, but is coming through clutch in the playoff. Barzi, I think, is on a four-goal game streak or something like that right now. He's been stepping up tremendously as his offensive factor has not wasn't really present in the Pittsburgh series and the beginning of the Boston series. But everybody's saying excuse, excuse, excuses. You know, Rask coming out with a hip injury afterwards or – or Jari in Pittsburgh. But now you just beat Vasilevsky, probably the Vesna winner this year. You just beat him, and granted it's one game, but you still had held the Tampa team with the remaining 50 seconds of that game to basically a shutout up until a, a bad penalty by Brock Nelson, which, again, bad timing, it's whatever, it is what it is. And then you look at the rest of the game, up until that final two minutes of the game, the Islanders were out shooting the Tampa Bay Lightning by like six or seven shots. So you outshot that $100 million team on an $80 million payroll. You outshot that offensive juggernaut. You protected more shots, on uh, same amount of shots on goal, but better than the Vesna winner. They can compete with these teams. It's just a matter of doing it consistently and capitalizing, like I said, on those minimal shots. And they've been doing that, and that's why they are moved on to the point at which they're at right now. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about how, you know, oh, Maybe the fan base was a little upset by a first-round pick for just Kyle Palmieri. But, you know, they got another guy in that deal, Travis Zajac, who's been playing uh, out of his mind, uh, you know, since Oliver Wallstrom kind of left the lineup. So, And he's been really great on the forecheck and, you know, doing some Leo Komarov-type stuff. So, um, you know, don't we cannot forget that he was a part of that deal because he's making uh, his impact felt uh, these, this playoff run too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kyle Palmieri has been an excellent addition for you guys. Now, I know, John, I mentioned Anders Lady just a couple moments ago, but if there's one player you had to pick, can be offense, defense, netminder, whoever, who has stepped up the most in his absence? Like not maybe who the best player is, but who has assumed that new captain type of role? 
Um, captain type of role, I would say, I mean, you know, definitely I'm not in the locker room. I have no idea, but I feel like a quiet leader on that team is Josh Bailey. He's one of the longest tenured guys. He's not, he doesn't seem like the rah, rah type guy, but he puts his head down. He gets to work and, you know, he's really has a playoff switch that he's able to switch every, every playoff season. It seems like, so I would say for this playoff run, it's, it's definitely been him. I, I think, you know, the fourth line between Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Zizekas, and uh, Matt Martin, those those three guys are, you know, all play an influential role um, as leaders on the team. So I would probably say, you know, a mixture of those four guys for sure. I would say even though he's still very young and still has a, a so much hockey left to play in his career, I would honestly say Barzal. And, and it's because of how we entered and exited last season. You know, being up for a contract, being talked about, can this guy lead a team offensively? Saying, can this guy be clutch? We know he's probably one of the best uh, puck handlers in the entire sport. But can he capitalize when it matters? And you watch in these games, whether he's turning the puck over or not, whether he's taking a hit or not, he hustles on every single play. Every single play. He's a setup man. He's scoring his own goals now. Like I said, I've seen plays where he gets absolutely hit out of his mind, gets right back up skates back to the other side of the ice, and plays on defense as well. And then whether or not he turns the puck over, hustles right back. He's leading by example, and he's doing a great job as one of the young studs on this team, one of the younger players on this team, and showing that he is deserving of that contract in which the Islanders gave him. Absolutely. Another thing I want to bring up, too, is Barry Trotz. Obviously, one of the top head coaches in the NHL. We saw what he did with the Capitals a few years ago. And now, last year, the Islanders made the conference finals as well. And then the year before that, they were able to get past Pittsburgh. This is two out of the last three playoffs they've gotten past Pittsburgh. Kyle and John, what do you guys feel about Barry Trotz? I mean, he seems to be the answer that you guys are looking for. Now it just seems, can they get over the hump, the hump that is the Tampa Bay Lightning, because, again, this is the exact same series as last year and two very similar teams. What I would say is that the minute that Barry Trotz signed that contract with the Islanders, we knew that we were getting an elite-level coach. And this was a guy, the only knock against him in his career is that he's had so many, so many years of opportunity without having that cup, and then he finally got an 18 with the Capitals. And all those years of head coaching experience, he's a guy that's been deemed as a guy that doesn't have the playoff repertoire, the guy that doesn't have cup appearances, only has the one, the guy that doesn't have a lot of playoff success. And then in the first, what is it, year three now, year four now, we've reached two Eastern Conference finals and two second rounds or something like that. This guy has built a team up that had lost an absolute star in John Tavares, who at the time... I thought was a top 10 player in all of hockey. And they've managed to, with the help of Lou Lamarillo, his presence has, again, has it been somewhat missed having that star factor? Absolutely. But in terms of presence goal scoring wise and competing and winning games, no. In fact, I think since the, since the John Tavares departure, we've won six series compared to John Tavares winning zero with the Maple Leafs. Uh, They've absolutely turned this franchise around completely. While it is an older team, and maybe it's not built for the long-term future, they will be competing, and they've been competing. And we've seen this successfully coming along. And something that I'd like to bring up with that uh, last year being uh, against Tampa was that they were coming off a seven-game series 
with the Philadelphia Flyers while Tampa only had like a five or six game series. And then if we remember the way it worked out, those teams then had to travel from Toronto to Edmonton. The Islanders had traveled to Edmonton late, and I think they actually had to play that next day with barely a, a day off whatsoever. And that's why they absolutely got steamrolled in an 8-2 loss. Now we've seen the the series were similar. The Tampa closed off the Hurricanes in five. The Islanders closed off Boston in six. They've had similar types of rest. Again, they are playing in Tampa. But again, we've seen that even though the goaltending has been outstanding, and by the time it was last year, we saw the goaltending kind of phase out a little bit because of exhaustion. Having Sorokin come in for that first series for Pittsburgh really has been deemed to be clutch because last year was heavily dependent upon and completely dependent upon Varlamov, whereas now he's had a whole round of rest, and you're getting that stud stellar performance from Varlamov night in and night out between the Boston series and game one against Tampa. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're talking about Barry Trotz, I mean, I feel like the only comparable coach might be Joel Quinville. I I think those are two coaches you plug in on any team and they're going to make the playoffs that first year They're you know, maybe, you know, you take a San Jose or an Ottawa that are, or maybe even the Buffalo Sabres that are kind of in the basement. And you put those two coaches on either of those teams and they'll, they'll make the playoffs and they'll really make a difference. I mean, uh, kind of what you were alluding to Kyle, like, you know, in the three seasons that Barry Trotz has been the head coach of the New York Islanders, they have 26 playoff game wins. Um, in that span, uh, the team he left, the Capitals, the, uh, you know, a cup reigning team after before he left, uh, they've seen three first round exits. So you you see the impact. Uh, you know, the the roster is pretty much the same. You know, you miss a few guys like Burakovsky and some guys on the the blue line, but other than that, it's pretty much the same team. So the one key piece that's missing is is Barry Trotz. So yeah, he definitely influences the team big time, and you know, definitely a major cog and why they're where they are that's that that's definitely great to see that you guys now have a head coach like barry trotz and a comment on him from sal trotz is really good the problem is till his last year with the caps he couldn't win the cup with the best player in hockey needs to prove it with the islanders because again i don't follow the islanders as closely as you guys but it doesn't seem like the islanders have that ovechkin type of player as where this comment that James brought up, how that they work well as a team and they all feed off of one another. I think that if you intertwine that with Trotz's coaching style, I think that leads to heavy success and it could lead the Islanders potentially to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I, I completely agree with James. Uh, again, I've said this numerous times on this show alone is that the Islanders don't have the Connor McDavid. They don't have the Nathan McKinnon. They don't have the Otami Panarin. They don't have the Alex Ovechkin. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have one guy scoring 10 goals in the playoffs or three guys scoring three and maybe four apiece. As long as those goals are coming from somewhere, it doesn't matter. And in fact, having one threat versus the amount of guys that the Islanders have where on any given night, like James is alluding to, some guy can be successful upon, right? Ryan Pollock scores the second goal in that in that game one victory against uh, Tampa as a defenseman. Contributions have come from all around this Islanders team. Is, is there obviously lesser parts? Absolutely. But everybody has contributed in some way, whether it's offensively or defensively, night in and night out, and that's why they've been as successful as they have been, even without that lack of 
top five, top ten player in the entire NHL. Yeah, and I think I, I think I might have the stat right. Um, the last three Hart Trophy winners uh, all had first round exits. So just because you're putting up a lot of points and you know you have the best player in hockey does not necessarily mean playoff success right off the bat. So you know a guy like McDavid, you hope he he gets some tutelage or you know is around to make a team replicate more what the Islanders look like. But um, yeah, I mean one player is not a team that's for sure. And we do have another comment here from Hank. Bringing in Lulam also gave them instant credibility. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Like I said before, having uh, – John, you just brought up tutelage. For bringing uh, a guy that's had so much success in this league before, bringing that into the Islanders organization as opposed to past history where we've seen with Garth Snow and, and others as well. They've kind of turned the mantra of this team completely around within these – what, like I said before, three, four years of them being present within the Islanders organization completely. You know, they've been active in almost every single trade deadline. A uh, key piece, J.G. Pajot, huge last year in the playoffs, huge this year again in the playoffs. Bringing in Kyle Palmieri, although he wasn't really very present and active during the regular season second half, I think he might lead the team in playoff goals right now. He's been extremely active offensively. And, and that's something before where the Islanders didn't necessarily – have they weren't that team that was active for the playoffs because they weren't deemed as a team that could go very far in the playoffs so they weren't being that way now under guys like Barry Trotz where he's your head coach you're expected to be on that next level where you have Lou Lamarillo running the ship you're expected to reach this point year in and year out second round Eastern Conference Finals and eventually hopefully get to the Stanley Cup Finals that's the type of pedigree that they bring to the table and because of their repertoire and because of their resumes, the Islanders have been able to take that on. Yeah. And, you know, I, you can't knock anything Lou's done. He's, he's a fantastic uh, hockey mind, and he's done a lot and filled some holes on this team. I think credit needs to be given to Garth Snow, though. He's, he did swing a lot of good trades. He got Nick Letty. He got Johnny Boychuk back in the day to shore up the blue line when, you know, we were kind of fumbling around with, uh, you know, bits and pieces he made that Griffin Reinhardt tra- trade that you know ended up turning into um, Anthony Beauvillier and Matt Barzal. So you know you kind of have to look back. He drafted the Josh Bailey's, the Brock Nelson. So um, a lot of credit needs to be given to him for the foundation he gave uh, Lou, and then Lou hiring Barry, who got the most out of that foundation. So, but definitely got to give hats off to Lou. He's been fantastic for them. Yeah, he's done an outstanding job. Folks, keep the comments coming. Tom Scavetta here with Kyle Russo and John Kaywood, a couple of Islanders fans, and discussing the Islanders' success as of late and defensively, too, in game one against Tampa. You guys looked really good. Not only did you win 61% of the faceoffs, you held them to 31 shots on goal. And um, what was I about to say? Their one goal in that game, so the two-to-one win, the goal came in a six-on-four situation late with under a minute or two left in the game. So it's not like this yeah. was a, a close game throughout. The Islanders controlled the entirety of this hockey game. Yeah. And the question now is, are the Islanders able to not beat Tampa Bay in game one, but are they able to win a series, win four games against the Lightning team that has the playoff points leader in Nikita Kucherov or Braden Point, who leads the NHL playoff goal mark with nine you know it's gonna come down to guys like Kyle Palmieri Barzal as you guys mentioned 
Um, we actually had a comment on Barzal from Daniel Bakley saying Barzal has filled in for Tavares while bringing in players to fit the trot system. Exactly. It's worked out wonderfully for these guys. But yeah. back to my point, game two is going to be a whole different animal because if you take two in Tampa Bay, now you're really looking good. All the Islanders had to do was take one game in Tampa Bay and you control the series. So the Islanders, win or lose tonight, they already did their job in Tampa Bay. Agreed. Agreed. Because the Islanders, um, you know, they've been one of the best home teams, you know, throughout the regular season and throughout the postseason as well in all of hockey. And the thing where I really look at this game, with the exception of that late penalty with Brock Nelson, they played structured, good hockey. No penalties committed because, John, as you know, Tom, as you know, you give Tampa a chance on the power play, they are one of the best power play teams in all of hockey. They are also one of the best penalty kill teams in all of hockey. So even though the Islanders have been a decent team on the power play this postseason, they really don't allow you much room to have that opportunity to score and flourish in an area in which you're good in. So, again, to replicate that type of performance three more times is going to be very difficult. And also holding them to basically sub-30 shots between the last 50 seconds, minute of the game, is going to be extremely difficult with the offensive firepower in which they have on the opposing side combined with their goaltender as well. But again, what we keep on saying with this team is that all these questions, but they keep on doing it. They, they keep on winning. They keep on winning. And I think Sal said it before, is that while the Islanders may be overachieving right now, they are on a roll. They're on a roll, and anything is possible. And right now, going into this game, they have the edge because, like you said, Tom, the Islanders had to get one on the road. Tampa has to get this game tonight. They have yeah. to win this game tonight. They don't have a choice. Yeah, it's going to be very cutthroat. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think kind of the keys, they might be hockey cliches, but, you know, you got to make them play a 200-foot game if you're the Islanders. You know, get the pucks in deep when you can. Get those you know, you're rolling all four lines and so is Tampa. So you got to make those changes, keep dominating the second period when that they have the best goal differential out of any team in the playoffs in the second period. That's a pivotal period for them kind of to swing momentum in their favor heading into the third. You know, you can't take a end of the period penalty that carries over, changes momentum too. So, you know, like any playoff series, you know, momentum is key. And, you know, once you give uh the lightning a power play they thunder the puck into the back of the net because they're, they're just so good let's just poke a little fun at some of the comments here as well you guys also have don sweeney to thank for passing on barzell three straight times yeah i mean uh, being up in boston uh, i have a you know bunch of friends and co-workers that you know point to that draft and they're really kicking themselves for not having you know barzell or bovillier for that matter who I think at times in this playoffs has played like the way, you know, some Islanders fans and fans in general might envision how Matt Barzell should play every game. That's how good Anthony Bovillier is too. And they, they did, they passed on him three times as well. So. Sal says, keep in mind, the Islanders are all in. They don't have much coming and have given away key picks. Yeah. This is kind of a win now situation and he also mentions how the roster is the top 10 age-wise they are an older hockey team kyle so yeah like like i said before it's a win now situation type team and that's what all teams that are all in uh, across all boards in sports is that 
They may not be the most youthful of teams. They may not have the most draft picks. But this is what you see in terms of winning a championship, teams being all in. You know, even look at Tampa. They just came off the championship. Look at how much money and star power they have on that team. Do you think Tampa has any cap, any draft capital to work with? Do you really think that while they have a lot of stud players, the contracts in which they've given to some of these players, other teams be kind of a difficult money move to make where they're kind of stuck with what they got for the long-term future? Okay. Of course, but that's what winning teams are built with. You see it across all boards in sports. Look at the Chiefs, for instance, right? Look at the amount of money that they've spent. While a lot of these players that they've spent money on are phenomenal, it's going to be difficult if one of these guys slips up to move that person with all that money designated on that contract and on that cap hit. That's what this team is right now. While the Islanders, I think, are better suited in terms of their contracts, they don't have, I don't think they have any bad contracts where I'd really point out and say that's pretty terrible. But like you said, Sal, they are an older team, they're a win now type of team. But Again, this team has been building chemistry for years and years and years now, like a Josh Bailey being around since I think Josh Bailey was drafted all the way back in 2006. I'm not saying that's when he started his career, but that's when I think he was drafted. Brock Nelson, been around on this team for a long time now, and they've added pieces with developmental youth like a Bavillier, like a Barzal, added some pieces like a Pajot, brought in a vet like Palmieri, brought in some solid goaltending. That's another thing that people uh, denote um, – or uh, attribute Barry Trotz to is that no matter what team he's been on goaltending, he's a goaltender whisperer. That, that, that's what he's been throughout his career. And that's what he's done with this team as well, where Islander fans were questioning, should we really let go of Robin Leonard? And then Semi Varlamov comes in on a four-year deal and nobody's talking anymore about it. That's what he gives the ability to do so. But back on track here, because I know I got a little off topic. They are more than capable of winning with the team they got, no matter what age they got, because that's the type of, rosters you don't see 25 and under teams making to the stanley cup finals you see teams with experience veteranship and some championship pedigree all put together into one melting pot with good coaching that's what wins a championship yeah i was gonna say i mean you know in in the nhl in the stanley cup playoffs you kind of have to learn how to go as far as you 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 know to what it takes to get to the stanley cup you have to you know, get to round one, get to round two. It's kind of like, you know, levels to it. So, you know, it takes a long time. It's, you know, you saw this year with uh, the Minnesota Wild, they're a young team. They have some veterans, but, you know, Krill the Thrill, he he had a great season. They went to the playoffs. They got bounced in game one, great seven-game series, but it takes some time to learn how to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, you guys brought up a lot of propelling points revolving this team, and I think we've poked at the bushes quite enough. Why don't we make our series predictions? And, John, as the guest, I'd love to start with you. Where's your head at? Who do you have coming out on top? Um, you know, uh, biasly, I would say the Islanders. And, honestly, the way everyone everything's shaking out right now, I, I would say them as well. I mean, they're playing good defensively. If they stay out of the box, they can win this game. They can win this series in – five or six games if, if they keep it up. But, you know, I think definitely tonight you're going to see a bounce back from Tampa. They're going to have a little fire under their butts. They're going to, they're going to come out a little bit more energetic. The fans last game were not that energetic as well. So I expect, you know, kind of a matching of their play. And, you know, I think it'll go back to uh, the barn one, one, and we'll see uh, where the series goes from there. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with John, too, that I think that Tampa will win tonight again, coming back with a vengeance, 
basically holding this Tampa team, which is deemed so lethal offensively, basically scoreless until the final minute of the game, less than that, that's not going to happen again. As good as the Islanders play, that's not going to happen again, even if they play on that same type of standard. Again, uh, final series predictions, I'm going to go with the Islanders in seven. I think that the hockey in which they play, the grittiness in which they play, has gotten them this far. And we've seen in game one that it is possible to beat this Tampa team. And do they necessarily have the formula consistently to go forward in this series? We'll see. But I think that they may win this series. Stealing one, uh, stealing game one and stealing a game against Tampa at home was so key in terms of being able to make it to that next level and reach the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, we've seen Tampa choke in the playoffs once before. Now, usually when they're coming from behind, it's either they go out right away or they're they're able to fight back. And, you know, this has nothing to do with me being a Rangers fan. And Kyle's really going to love my answer, but I am going to pick Tampa to win the series. However, I do think if the Islanders win tonight, I may change my pick. Um, but at this time, I have Tampa Bay winning and I'm going to make it seven games only because I really like what the Islanders did in game one. I think it's going to be a back and forth type of series where I could easily see Tampa winning games two and three, and then the Islanders coming back to win game four. And now it becomes a best of three again. So I think the series will likely go six or seven games, but to be a little different here, guys, I'm going to go Tampa Bay in seven. So that's, that's where I stand with that. And Brian, Atard. um, <laughs> a couple of comments. Florida having no state tax is quite helpful as regarding the uh, <laughs> as regarding the salary thing and um, breaking. James Harden is in for Game Five. See how effective he is. That will be key in terms of we talk about series. That'll be key in determining how this series pans out. John, for the record, Brian is not a Lightning fan. He is a Rangers fan. He is just... Uh, understandable. Understandable. A lot of... Uh, lot of uh, yeah, fellow f- or friendly uh, Rangers fans, you know, doing a little tongue-in-cheek on yeah. that end. So, understood. Understood. Yeah, no, I'm not anti-Islanders. I, I have to live with a couple, but, um, you know, it is what it is. It would, nice, it would be really nice to see a New York team in a championship again, and, and yeah. it would be really nice to see the Islanders do that. But, John, Kyle, and I wanted to personally thank you for joining us here tonight. But before you go, is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah, if you guys want some more Islanders content, uh, me, uh, I'm a producer of an Islanders podcast called Fish Files Podcast. Um, it's hosted by uh, Sal Jirasi. He used to play ju- with the Junior Islanders, and uh, it's co-hosted by uh, his friend Josh McDowell. We do some fun stuff. We have the fishermen on uh, the show, so definitely go check it out. It's uh, We have a fun time, and we talk some hockey, not just Islanders, but uh, the whole league. So, But thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, we'll definitely thank check that out. So thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Go Isles, babe. All right. So that was John Kaywood and Kyle. Great interview with John. Really appreciate having him on. And we will see what happens. The Islanders getting ready to start game two against Tampa Bay in just a few moments. A couple of comments we couldn't get to during the interview that I just wanted to pin here. JD saying the guys are doing a great job. Thank you very much for that, JD. Daniel brought up a comment. I'm not a fan of this loophole that has allowed Tampa to use Kucherov in the playoffs due to the long-term injury distinction. 
which allowed them to not count his salary. And that's where Brian referred to with the tax comment in Florida. Um, very, very interesting. And then Sal says, if the Islanders win tonight, Isles in six. If Tampa wins tonight, Tampa in six. So Sal is carrying a lot of heavy weight into tonight's game too. So if your anxiety is not through the roof, um, it's up there now. And Brian, Tampa Bay, and I don't care how many. Yep. Make sure to go check out Brian Attard on Blue Truth. Um, I believe he is airing this Thursday at 8.30. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but that is a new Rangers show, Brian just hosted and john once again thank you very much for joining us before we bring up hank and dictor to talk about the rangers and the hiring of their new head coach gerard gallant we are going to briefly recap game one of the other series happening between the vegas golden knights and the montreal canadians now kyle russo you were very high on the abs you were absolutely very high that your hair was almost on fire. I mean, you're, you basically turned into an, an avalanche saying, I don't know who's going to stop this team. And Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Uh, yeah, Vegas got in the way of that. So um, yeah. if you would like to retort, now will be your time. I mean, Colorado took a 2, two nothing lead. And it was deemed to unfold that way and letting up four games straight. You know, you look at this Colorado team as a whole and nothing to take away from the Golden Knights whatsoever, because we knew that if it wasn't going to be the uh, if it wasn't going to be the avalanche, people were then favoring the Vegas Knights to then win the entire thing completely. So it's not like this team's a bad team whatsoever. I was favoring the Avs because of how they ended off last season, being that, again, last season they had an excuse. Rubauer went down in the second round, I believe. That was their out for, okay, we couldn't make it that far. Now, ultimately, you were up 2-0 in a series and lose four straight. I don't know if that's addressed to the coaching situation because ultimately, you look at this team from top to bottom. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with Mike Letta and, and Brian Attard from the Sports Box, Tom. And we all basically talked about, or at least I was expressing, is that there's no holes with this team. There, there's nothing in which they could really improve upon from an offensive standpoint, a defensive standpoint, a goaltending standpoint, an entirety of a personnel standpoint. Losing four straight, that goes on behalf of the coaching. That, that That's my personal opinion. To be up 2 nothing, to lose four straight, that means you ultimately felt comfortable in your situation and you let your guard down. And that's what happened. Because in two of those games, the victories by Vegas, those games weren't even close. A 5-1 victory in game four and a 6-3 victory in game six. So that that's ultimately what I would deem it against. But to go on the direction of the Vegas Knights, they're a fantastic team. Mark andre Fleury, 37 years old, he still probably a top – not probably, is a top three goaltender in all of hockey. Nothing has ultimately stopped him and nothing has gotten in his way, as we saw them against the Montreal Canadiens last night in a 4-1 victory. You know, Carey Price, I said, can maybe steal a game or two for them. But in terms of the offensive firepower that Vegas has, in terms of the defensive firepower that they have, and in terms of their goaltending situation, this might be a very quick series as well because they're that good. We've seen ever since their inaugural season, there's no slow of pace to the achievements in which they've reached, whether it's reaching the Stanley Cup in the first year and making it to the playoffs every year since and now competing again in a Western Conference Finals to potentially go back to the Stanley Cup in a matter of four years. 
Right. And now it was crazy because Vegas was down 2 nothing in that series to the Avs. So there was all of the reason to be confident that, that Colorado will advance. But Vegas was resilient. They won four straight. Marc-Andre Fleury was outstanding. Vegas is now one round away from the Stanley Cup final for the third time in four seasons as a franchise. On the other end of the spectrum, Montreal swept Winnipeg 4-0, in, which was a surprise to some. Tyler Toffoli had the game-winning goal in Game 4. Their run to the semis is being compared to their 1993 Stanley Cup victory. Kyle, how surprised are you to see Montreal here? I'm very surprised. Uh, You know, coming into the first series against Toronto, I've never been really a a big believer in Toronto. I've been a believer in the curse existing within them. And no matter how many stars they seem to add, no matter how many people say it's their year to win, ultimately blowing a, I think it was a 3-1 lead. Even though you were missing Tavares, you still should have been able to beat this Montreal squad, and they ultimately weren't able to. And, And Montreal really came above that and performed at a high level. And even though Carey Price really carried them, they got the amount of goals they needed in order to beat that Toronto squad. Moving on to Winnipeg, again, Winnipeg is another team that nobody really expected to beat Edmonton, let alone in a sweep. I believe they finished their series in four games as well. And then to go and play Winnipeg in a downgraded situation, and what I mean by that is Mark Shifley being out for the entirety of the series due to that four-game suspension. He's been their best offensive player the last couple of years. So that put them at a tremendous loss, and they never really got it together offensively against this Montreal team. In fact, I'll read you the five, uh, the four games. 5-3 in game one, shutout 1-0 in game two, 5-1 to one in game three, and a 3-2 victory in overtime. So they couldn't get anything going offensively for Winnipeg, a total of six goals in four games for them. They couldn't get anything going. Montreal was able to move past them. How competitive will they be against this Vegas team? Again, we're only one game in, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know necessarily what we're going to see. Well, I'll tell you this much. It's not looking good for Montreal right now. Vegas won 4-1 to one in game one. Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez, Montez Janmark, and Nick Holden each scored a goal. Riley Smith had a couple of assists. Cole Caulfield, though, rookie for Montreal, had a power play goal. He leads all rookies with five points in the playoffs. Game two will be tomorrow night at Vegas. Any predictions you have for this series, Kyle? I'm going to go ahead and say Vegas in four. You think it's going to be sweet? I was going to say I was going to say Vegas in five. I'll, I'll say that they can. I'll say that Carey Price can pull one game out, but I'll say Vegas in five. I hope you're right. I hope I, I really do hope I'm wrong. Um, maybe there's a little drama in that prediction, but, um, I know you have to go, you have some plans, by the way, um, congratulations on turning 21, uh, 21st birthday. It's been a while. I've known you for like five years. So yeah, you've known me since I'm 17. Yeah. (laughs) Got any good plans? Uh, just hanging out with a couple buddies tonight. Just, uh, going to have a good time, but turned 21 this past Saturday, had a wonderful day, uh, Got some great messages from a bunch of friends, had a great time, enjoyed my day, and, you know, excited for the next chapter in my life. So, Brian, Kyle, you don't look a day over 20. Exactly, Brian, exactly, exactly. 
Kyle Russo, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. I know you were going to go, but I'm going to bring on Hank and Dick there once you leave. Kyle, we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you, Tom. All right, that was Kyle Russo, co-host of Review and Preview. A couple of comments I'll bring up before we bring up Hank. Andrew Scarpacci has the Islanders beating Tampa Bay in seven games. Brian Attard will be live with Blue Truth on Facebook on Thursday at 8.30. Gallant, exclamation point. And make sure to go subscribe to Brian's YouTube channel on Blue Truth and like his Facebook page as well. To paraphrase Vince McMahon, Vegas didn't beat Colorado. Colorado beat Colorado. Very, very interesting. Hank says this reminds him of 2010 when they upset Washington and Pittsburgh to the Eastern Conference Final as the eighth seed. Sal says got to go, but I think the Rangers made a great hire. Now Drury needs to build a tough punishing fourth checking line to go against team number one lines. We also need a big time young center with size and skill. If they do all that, we will be playoff bound and true in all caps contenders for the cup. Great show as always. Sal, thank you very much for all of your excellent comments and analysis. We really do appreciate it. And at this time, here he is, my co-host of Big Blue Avenue. He's appearing on Review and Preview tonight. The host of Hitting for the Cycle, diehard New York Rangers fan, Hank and Dichter. Hank, hello. How's it going? You know what? It's tough to be a fan of the teams that I'm rooting for right now. Obviously, I don't need to get into the pinstripes. You'll hear me rant more about them on Thursday. And it's hard to really be excited about the Rangers night now because I'm seeing the Islanders go on such a big run. But with that having been said, I think that is an excellent hire. I will talk to you more about that in the detail as we go along. But otherwise, Tom, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself, brother? Doing excellent. Just talked to your buddy, John. Uh, just talked about Kyle Russo. Kid's a man now. So <laughs> that's, hey. that's very interesting. I know you've known him longer than I have, but he's pretty much growing up right in front of our eyes. It's a great thing. Let's talk about the New York Rangers hiring their new head coach, Gerard Gallant, 57 years old. This deal is a four-year deal. He most recently coached the Vegas Golden Knights, where he led the team to a Stanley Cup Finals appearance in their inaugural season. Gallant was Vegas head coach from 2017 to 2020. He also previously coached three years with the Florida Panthers in the mid-2010s and then three years with the Columbus Blue Jackets from 2003 to 2007. Obviously, there was the strike in 2004 where the NHL did not have a season. So, Hank, I see one common trend with Gerard Gallant. Before we dig dig deep into this, Gallant has been a three-year head coach for his previous three teams. So that's an interesting little factoid there. Um, Any thoughts on that? Well, to be honest, I don't really think that's indicative of what Gerard Gallant is as a coach. Like I can't really comment too much about his time in Columbus. They weren't, they obviously didn't have a great team. And this was really, I don't really have any memory of those blue jackets teams. However, what I can tell you is the Florida Panthers team, he guided the playoffs in 2016 was two seasons off of a really bad year. I believe they had like 60 or 70-something points two seasons before. So he did a really good job getting them in the playoffs. Now, how they lost and what happened in the playoffs to them was a really tough one. I think they lost three games in that series in overtime to the Islanders, and there was a really controversial game six. So that series, at the very least, should have probably gone to the full seven. But 
otherwise, he really did a good job turning the Florida Panthers around. The problem with what happened in his Florida tenure wasn't so much him. It was the fact that I think they got Dale Talon. I think he retired and then he ended up coming back later eventually, but he, they ended up getting a new GM and he like totally changed the whole team around Gallant during his like last year with Florida. And I think deep down, he kind of knew the writing was on the wall that he was going to get fired. How they handled his firing is another matter entirely and was really poor. If you remember, I think they pretty much sent him home in a taxi cab after like a four game losing streak and like 22 games a season. And, Really, that goes to show you how bad, badly run the Florida Panthers are as an organization. I mean, for crying out loud, this team doesn't even play downtown Miami. And if anything, they play like on the outskirts of like Fort Lauderdale or something. And when you look at them compared to the other Florida team, it's night and day to see who's the better run organization. But in any event, I don't really fault him for that one. With Vegas, again, nothing but praise there. He led them to the Stanley Cup Finals his first year, remember, it's funny how everyone was calling that team like a rigged roster considering how they built the team after like the expansion draft, but yet somehow they made it. And like everyone was saying, Oh, that team had no shot at doing anything before the season. He won 54 games in their first season. I'm pretty sure that's a record among expansion teams, if I'm not mistaken. So pretty decent job. I know the second year they had a pretty decent run too. Unfortunately, they had a choke in the first round against the San Jose Sharks, but you know, last year, again, that was that made even less sense than Florida getting rid of him because they were, at one point, they were in first place for the majority of the season. To fire him after a four-game losing streak, I think, was kind of irrational. And the fact that they didn't really let him stay around to turn around, it, it made no sense. But you know what? I'm glad he was still around. I think this is an excellent hire for the Rangers. This is a guy who, like, emphasized, emphasizes speed and skill and when you look at the way the current roster is made, I think that's really important. And I, I think that's definitely the better hire. And remember, it's why I didn't it's why I didn't want John Tortorella for the opposite reason. And Brian, I have to say, you are damn right. The Rangers are always gonna be the main story in New York or hockey. LGR always, my guy. Let's go, Rangers. That's right. Um, Brian Atar, thank you so much for the comment and Here's my thing. In Florida, it seemed like that was more the Panthers than Gallant. Vegas, yeah. we know what happened with that. Columbus mm-hmm. not wasn't very old when that happened. Wasn't also too big into hockey back then. But I know Gallant is fresh off leading Team Canada to a 27th gold medal at the IIHF World Championships. Mm-hmm. And I really do like this hire for the Rangers. Once the Rangers let Dave Quinn go, I had a feeling this was going to be the name that was brought in because the Rangers are a very storied franchise that obviously they haven't won a championship in 27 years, but this is a team that, right, they're the Class A team of New York hockey, Uh, even though the Islanders are the better team at the moment. The Rangers are on the upcome. So I think bringing him in is an outstanding move, especially now that you have such a competitive Eastern Conference. Hank, what does Gallant bring to the table that makes him a better coach than David Quinn? I think he he's the coach that I think has the more experience. I think he can probably get that team to the next step. I think he can further develop some of the younger guys that they have. I'll tell you a few guys that could really use, really benefit from his style of play. Pavel Buchnevich, Alexis Lafreniere, and Capo Kako, to name a few. So, again, it, when you have a team that's really and designed on finesse, speed, and skill, you definitely need a guy like Gerard Collin, and I think he's very compatible with what the Rangers bring to the table. Now, 
Of course, I also happen to agree with Sal. I think it would be nice to bring in some tough guys for the fourth line because we saw some moments during the season where the Rangers were kind of kicked around and beaten. And, you know, I, I really hope they can learn from that. And I, I, I think Drury can definitely get in some of those guys. Let's just hope he doesn't sign anyone to a stupid long-term contract. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. You don't know if the Rangers are going to change a lot of the faces on this roster because when a new head coach is hired, that usually means faces are going to change in the locker room. So you hope the Rangers are able to keep some of their core players. And obviously with the new Seattle team coming in this year, we're not sure who the Rangers will lose from that expansion draft. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And I do have another question for you on Gallant, Hank. Um, you mentioned how... It's, it's about speed with him. Buknevich mm-hmm. will be a player that benefits from him, just to name one. How will he deal with this young core of players? Obviously, the Rangers are a very young and talented team. How do you think he's going to deal with that young core? For instance, Capocacco has been very inconsistent his first two seasons. Alexis Raffanier, it took him until about midseason to hit his stride. How is he going to help those two players and the rest of that young core? I think maybe he he gets some more ice time or something. He probably puts him like on a higher line with the guy and looks for the right amount of chemistry or something like that. I think that's probably what you should see from Gallant. Yeah, and Sal brought up an interesting comment too before about that fourth checking line. What do you think about this? That fourth checking line to go against team's number one lines. We also need a big-time young center with size and, and, and skill. I don't know who you think they could potentially bring in as a young center with size and skill. But um, I found this comment actually very interesting from Sal. What do you think about that? Well, let me start with the young center line. I think there may be just maybe there is a young center that is very disgruntled about his situation in Buffalo and rightfully so. Of course, if you read between the lines, I'm talking about Jack Eichel and considering what's been going on with him and how, how badly he wants out and how much of a mess everything is it might not take a lot to get to get him actually. And I have to say if, if getting Jack Eichel as a center could be the missing piece to the Rangers, not winning a cup, I think you absolutely have to get that deal done. I think Jack Eichel presents a lot of skill. Like anyone who thinks that that guy was really the problem in Buffalo, you really need to look at that team and what was going on or like surrounding them. It it was, he was the best player on that team by far. And there isn't, there was not even a close second. Unless maybe you had Taylor Hall, but again, you just had those two players. That team was just an absolute mess. And yeah, I definitely agree with the, with the fourth line. We had some good guys who were like, had the, had the skills, but also the toughness. I would have loved if they had kept a guy like Brendan Lemieux, but that was a trade that I really was not too happy about. And they didn't really get much for him. I, I would love to have somebody like a Brendan Lemieux on that fourth line, but you know, I, I definitely think toughness would be, something that they could use on that fourth line. Because as I said, if you really watch them towards the end of that season, like every time that something big happened, every time there was like a big scuffle, they lost their momentum. Like look at the Islander series, for example, they got crushed in those last few games. And then of course the ultimate example was the Capitals games where Tom Wilson, like decked our time of parent. That was a total mess. So I, I think that's pretty much what, I think that's what Brennan, um, Chris Jury is going to have his eyes on when he like tries to fix the Rangers. You mentioned Jack Eichel earlier, and there was a poll today. I think Brian Attard was the one that actually created the poll on his Blue Truth page. Jack Eichel has been linked to the Rangers, potentially the only one team 
that would trade for him. And I'm not going to get into the logistics of that and what the Rangers may or may not give up to get him. But would you prefer to have Jack Eichel, 24-year-old young player, or would you prefer to have a guy like Barkov? I think that's a really tough question because oh, they're both gosh. around the same age. Tom, you're putting me on the spot here. I mean, how to ask the question? Barkov's a, like, don't get me wrong. Eichel is great. The only thing is, I don't know what Buffalo is going to want for them. They probably know how deep our like young players are, so they may be asking a lot. Barkov could be another good option. I I really think either one. I would probably lead with Barkov just a little bit because I think we know Eichel's like mouth off a little about a bit about his situation. I know a lot of teams might see him as a bit of a cancer, which isn't really that fair in my honest opinion, because like I said, look what he's had to deal with in Buffalo. Not, not that good, good of a situation, but I, I think Barkov is definitely a young rising star that could also benefit the Rangers for sure. Yeah. Eichel's injury history scares me a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. he might yeah. be the better fit out of the two. Although Barkov might have the higher ceiling. That's just the way I view it. Um, yeah, think, there's really two ways you can look at that. I think they have to make a move for one of those two players. I mean, you're playing in the Big Apple. And my last question to you, Hank, is what type of energy? I know you go to a lot of Rangers games. Yes. What type of energy are you expecting to see at the Garden this next season with Gerard Gallant as the head coach? Do you think there will be a different type of energy, like a, a new edition of the New York Rangers? I think you might see a good amount of good good addition. Um, sorry, what am I trying to say? You might see a good amount of like vibes going into the garden. I think you might see like some excitement for a positive new change. But then again, you might see some fans that are a little bit salty and understandably so over letting go of John Davidson and uh, oh, what's the Gorton? Because I I do I. Don't be wrong. As much as I think the Rangers have a bright future, I'm still a little bit stung over what happened there. But nonetheless, I think with Gerard Gallant and the core they already have right now and the potential they have years down the line, I think it should be a really good vibe. And gosh, I, this is this was like the first season I didn't even go to a Ranger game since like I want to say maybe 2009 something. It's been that long. I, I, I can't wait to see what it's like once I go back to the Garden. It's going to be a lot of fun. And Tom... One of these days, you got to join me for a game one day, for sure. Yeah, what really sucked was we were supposed to go That's right, right before the pandemic, like right when everything shut down, like that date in March. I think it was March 12th or 14th, something like that. It but, was the 14th, but nonetheless, I still owe you a game there, buddy. We'll figure something out. We'll definitely <laughs> uh, get a plan in the works. Maybe we'll invite Brian as well. Uh, yes, maybe he'll trickle absolutely. up I would love to have him join us. We'll figure something out. And Brian actually has a comment. Uh, he says, trade for Eichel, L-T-I-R, all season, and bring him back for the playoffs, L-O-L. <laughs> That's actually mad smart. I'm not going to lie. I love. I, I would not be opposed to that at all, actually. What a way to end it, right? Hank, any, any final thoughts you want to add? <laughs> Listen, just because the Islanders are making a deep run and – Look, I hate to say it. I got to give them credit where credit is due. They're a good team. They're good to watch, as painful it is for me to admit. But let's always remember, this is New York. This is a Ranger town. LGR, baby. All day, every day. True blue. And Brian's already in. So, Brian, we'll see you up here at MSG. Absolutely. Me and Hank living it up here in the garden. But, Hank, 
Thank you very much for joining me for this segment here on the New York Rangers hiring their new head coach, Gerard Gallant. Thanks a lot, Hank. Tom, always a pleasure. All right, folks. So that'll do it for tonight's edition of Review and Preview. Tom Scavetta joined alongside special guest Hank and Dichter. We had Kyle Russo on the show and then John Kaywood as well. Really do appreciate all the comments, all the shares throughout the show. We'll be back next week, and Hank will actually be hosting his baseball show on Thursday night, hitting for the cycle at 7 p.m. with Kyle Russo will be his special guest. So if you love baseball, Make sure to check that out. Take care, everybody.